Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 190 of the Fun with Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the Brazilian Grand Prix out of Sao Paulo, Brazil, in between those lakes. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And you have to say, this was the race of the season. If your criteria is races that are held in Brazil for Formula One. <laughs> That's right, because no other race this season was held there. For Formula One. Exactly. That's true. You are a factually accurate man. Well, thank you. And I pointed my finger at you while I said that to emphasize. That statement how was true. Yes. So, As is that one. By other metrics, though, you could say that this was not the most exciting race. It's weird. It was chaotic. There was a lot going on, but none of it was terribly interesting. Well, yeah, so there's sort of two parts of that. One is uh, one of the stories is what's actually happening on track and the pit stops and the, you know, car you know, overtaking and those kind of things. And there was a little bit of that. It was a lot of stops today because of tire wear and people want to do three-stop strategies and things like that. So that was, you know, there was there was some back and forth there, but on the whole, most times people went into the pits and they came out back in the same order that they went in and there were no big over-unders or massive strategy gambles. Um, but the other thing is the implications, of course, with the championships already decided for both driver and constructor, uh, then you're looking at second place, third place, and on down the field. And uh, we looked at, at the very end of the race in terms of championship changes in position. Uh, it was only Nico Hulkenberg moved up two spots because of a solid points paying finish for him. But otherwise, um, and I guess Vettel now is... Uh, it could only get third. You know, he is now locked out from getting second place. So our champion, of course, is Lewis Hamilton. Second place in the driver's championship is definitely Nico Rosberg. That is now decided for sure. Yes. And Vettel is in third unless something, you know, I don't know, on down from there, who cares? But otherwise, no other changes in the championship um, except for that one, Nico Hulkenberg. No, so, Vettel, uh, I think Vettel has to be locked out for third because fourth place was way, way down. Yeah. yeah. So that's third. No, it is. But it's it's funny you say that because that is actually an interesting championship. Fourth in the constructors right now, Valtteri Botas. Fifth, Kimi Raikkonen. And if I remember correctly, they are now separated by one single point. So that is actually, while we have to go that far down the list before we get to something interesting, that is quite interesting. They are, they are countrymen together. They have had a couple of um, squibbles or squabbles. I don't know how you want to pronounce that. Um, a tiff or two. Eh? Squibbles eh? and tiffs. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tiffy squibble. Anyway, uh, so that one has a little bit of momentum behind it. But uh, there were also some things going on leading up to the Brazilian Grand Prix. Uh, one that, let's start with something that I guess is slightly better of the good news, of, of the news. Uh, Manor F1 team has hired a new racing director. That man is an ex-McLaren guy, and his name is Dave Ryan. Eight characters make up that man's entire name. (laughs) This statement is also true. (laughs) Unless he has a middle name that's not listed in the article. Yeah, uh, I don't know much about Dave Ryan. Uh, You know, McLaren pedigree sounds like a good one. Uh, McLaren, of course, right now not being in the best, uh, you know, direction or whatever, but uh, obviously they've had good success over the years, so... Uh, one would think that he would know how to do some things, but we still haven't gotten clarity. Um, well, we did get another story about uh, Graham Loudon and John Booth saying, yes, we've confirmed our departure. 
Okay. Sweet. We thought we kind of knew that. Yeah. I guess it was technically unofficial or kind of a widely believed rumor. And then they said, yes, I can confirm that I'm leaving. Um, and then for a while, of course, there was that talk of Tavo Hellman and his guys uh, coming in to take over some uh, running of the team and, and so on, because the ownership of the team isn't changing. It's just the people working there and running the races. Uh, and so Dave Ryan, if but, I'm not mistaken. I mean, I guess chunks of ownership would change. I mean, the Tavo Hellman thing would be buying in. Okay. It would not just be sponsorship. Uh, right, not sponsorship, but as in you know, a team principal or a racing director and whatever. So my my understanding is Dave Ryan is racing director, uh, but not team principal or not chief designer or not one of those roles. So that's correct. That's still a correct. lot of questions with Manor and the future of the team and exactly how that's going to go. Uh, and one of the one of the stories talking about the Tavo Hellman possibility was they they want to do that contingent on the Mercedes deal still going through, which. Again, we thought was, that. was kind of done uh, that, you know, maybe with the current team, you know, we don't know the details of these I, Yeah, I thought it was announced. Mercedes was going to supply the engines and Williams was going to supply technical support. I it, yeah, it was announced, done. but I think there's probably more to that contract than that headline, right? So if the, some of that is, oh, well, if the team if the team changes hands and all of a sudden it's owned by Ferrari and then we don't want to be supplying, you know, like, who knows, right? There could be some kind of weirdness. So with the team changing hands, part of what they want to make sure is... Can we do what we want to do uh, with hiring a whole different people or getting new technical staff or whatever they're trying to do and maintain the the deals that are already in place? So, again, I'm hopeful that that team can come together, uh, partly because it's just been such a backmarker, cool story that to turn around from uh, really not existing to get as far as they have, partly because our uh, our countryman Alexander Rossi has been given a chance in that car and done quite well with his chances, uh, and, and he's done with that for the year now, but... Uh, hopefully this could be his home uh, for next year or or beyond, and maybe as a stepping stone to something even better. But and, and we also just don't want to see a Formula One team stop being a Formula One team. Uh, you know, more more cars are better. And just, just in general, everything going. Liking Formula One is a little bit contingent on the number of cars that are in Formula One. I was ten years ago now that we had a bitter pill to swallow that was six cars competing in a Formula One Grand Prix, not twenty. And that was less good, if we'll all remember and all agree. Who knows? If there's a contingent of fewer, less is more, let us hear from you. Um, in other news, this, uh, this is also kind of touching on uh, American interests a bit. Uh, the Austin, the track in Austin, Texas, the Circuit of the Americas at, for the United States Grand Prix, they are in trouble. Formula One is a very expensive sport on a lot of levels, and that's extremely expensive for the circuits that hold venues. And the state government has said, hey, that money we've been giving you to subsidize this, we're going to give you less now because we're kind of done. Yeah, that's one of the challenges. The way that uh, I think this is mostly Bernie's influence, but the way that these things are run is you don't make money holding a Formula One race. You, you spend it. You spend lots and lots of money, and usually that comes from either local or state or country governments to try to attract tourism and, and make it you know an economic uh, in the economic interests of the region. Uh, but that the track itself is supported by the, the public money in most cases, unless you've got some. Uh, you know, like in the case of the, the Austrian uh, Red Bull ring, where there's just one company that just can, can pour just so much money into a thing to just make it work in spite of whatever the government wants. But um, in most cases, it's it's local governments and, and city officials and people like that. And that's a dangerous thing to be in because those people need to get elected and they have their citizens to answer to. And 
changing priorities and all that. Uh, and of course, in, in Texas, you know, one of the big things for the Circuit of the Americas being in Austin, one of the one of the advantages, as they talked about it, was that there's no professional sports team. Uh, there's no big NFL arena or, uh, you know, a big basketball team or whatever based in Austin. There's, of course, you know, in Dallas and San Antonio and these other big cities. But for Austin specifically, this was going to be their big thing. Well, uh, in Texas... Austin is not a very big city. Right. It's, it's, I don't know, 800,000 people. It's a lot of folks. But compared to other major cities in Texas, pretty small number. Right. And so for them, this could be their big thing. But also, uh, Austin does have a really big college football thing with the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, so they have other sport events and other you know places where public can spend money and you know have sports and things like that. So it's not... Um, well, in Austin is also uh, South by Southwest, huge music festival. There's things going on there. It's not a sleepy town no, Austin, other than the Formula One right. race. Austin is a great town. It's not like they're they're hard up for stuff to do, I guess is part of the point. But um, we, you can see where they can have a budget for public entertainment and you know sporting events and, and you know economic interests. And they could say, well, do we really need to spend all these millions of dollars? And I guess we don't know exactly what the figures are, but spend lots and lots of money to have this Formula One race. Is that worth it? You know, alongside all the other things that we want to spend money on, and some now some people are looking at it and saying maybe no. And I think well, they're saying definitely no. The the, the budget has been cut. It was twenty five ish million dollars. Now it's nineteen and a half. So it it very very much so was cut, and you know by about twenty percent. Right. Uh, so I think a lot of that. I mean, I, I guess I don't know, but a lot of that may have been down to this year being such a poor outcome for the race, mostly to do with weather, partly to do with the Mexican Grand Prix, stealing a little bit of the thunder and a lot of the fans from coming to Austin. So maybe they look at that and say, wow, this is a really bad investment, guys. Let's, let's look at this, which is too bad because, of course, the Mexican Grand Prix, this was its first year back after 23 years. So it's going to get more excitement than usual for uh, people that want to come see it that are anywhere near that. But also the weather you know, what are you going to do? It, it is what it is. In some cases, of course, you know, when it's like monsoon season in some of the Asian countries and stuff, you can try rescheduling it so that the, uh, the you know, the race happens at a more favorable time. And to that end, it already is kind of that way, having the race in November, because if this race were in July in Austin, it would be really, really, really hot and miserable and super sunny, and you'd have a lot more problems. So the fact that it's a nice, cool time of year uh, is, is good, and it's already sort of set up at a, at a good time. But the hurricane coming through or cyclone or whatever it was, um, you know, just getting this torrential rains. It just really was just unlucky. Western and, hemisphere. I think you can call it hurricane. Okay. Well, there you go. Then, um, that's, uh, you know, I guess just, just is what it is. And hopefully it's not too reactionary to that, uh, because, uh, it'd be of course a shame to actually lose the U S Grand Prix. So I guess what is confirmed is the city budget's different, but what's not confirmed is the future of the race. It's not, you know, it's not removed from the calendar yet so far. It's still on all the provisional stuff and it's, it's just sort of being, being worried about at this point, but it's not actually gone as a race for next year. But Jim, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, the, the opening year, the inaugural year, the United States Grand Prix was a banner year. They had a great crowd and it's gone down every year since. Well, we went to the inaugural Grand Prix. We haven't been since. And I think we have no one else to blame but ourselves for not giving them that extra marketing oomph that they need that is the powerhouse fun with cars. Well, yeah, that's that's true. And you know, I, I mean, let's not our, let's not forget. You know, we went to the um, Grand Prix, the U.S. Grand Prix in Indianapolis. We said we're not going the next year, and they took it right off the calendar. And it's gone. Yeah, and then I wanted to go to Canada, so I, you know, I had Bernie schedule it uh, not on my wedding, but on the honeymoon weekend right after the wedding. Which so. I I have to say again, very smart on your end. I, yeah, well, really, really you know, clever. I know some people, and it worked out pretty well. <laughs> yeah. And we've said we wanted one in Mexico, and now there's one in Mexico. So I mean... I guess, yeah. So to that end, uh, 
possibly, uh, I mean, they're, you know, the best outcome, I think, is that the USGP at the Circuit of the Americas stays on the calendar. Hopefully they can figure out uh, whatever needs to happen to make it so everybody in the deal makes some money and the fans can go to a race that's still affordable and so on. Uh, that seems to be difficult lately, but um, with all the talk lately that the U.S. is such an important market, hopefully uh, of all the things, having this you know really nice purpose-built track, the drivers seem to like it, fans dig it, and it's a good facility and a good whole setup that that doesn't go away in favor of some goofball new scheme. But if this helps push along other schemes, like the sort of never happened, uh, you know, circuit, wait, Grand Prix of Americas at the New Jersey Port, Port Imperial Port, Street Circuit. Right. At the, yeah. The Port so, Imperial Street Circuit. It's ironic because you hammered it in my head 30 times when we did our I was video. trying to think of the name of the race because it's Circuit of the Americas in Texas and Grand Prix of the Americas or Grand Prix of America in New Jersey. But anyway, yes. that never happened. And it seems like it never will. But if this is the kind of thing that those people, whoever was involved in that, if anything is still in place there. And that is could, such a fundamentally cool layout. I mean, it really, it should happen. And if Formula One doesn't pick it up, I'd love if IndyCar did. Although it seems like that would have happened by now. I know, I know, know. I know. Okay. It's frustrating, but it's there's still potential there. It's not like the roads went away. That still exists. Yes, that's so. The roads are still there, as far as we know. <laughs> I haven't been there that's a right, We should go back. We should, we should double check. And they removed the road. So, in other news, I, through my day job, had an opportunity to uh, speak with a Scot. And in particular, this was three-time Formula One world champion Jackie Stewart. Ah! It was seriously very cool. I've never been starstruck on the phone before, but it was seriously a brilliant opportunity. Uh, We talked for, I don't know, five minutes, and it was quite fascinating. He has, must be said, a very distinctive and somehow soothing voice. For Formula One ears. It's like, yes, that's reassuring. Like, you want there. him to read you a bedtime story. It would just be like a, <laughs> a lovely experience. I'd be out like a light. And uh, But it was interesting. We had a few conversations. He's uh, encouraged by Haas F1. He wants them to do well. I think he's definitely happy that they are basing a good chunk of their operations right out of the UK. He thinks that's a really smart idea. He... Um, he also had a couple things to say about uh, the rookie drivers. He was very, and I thought I found this fascinating. He was very uh, impressed by Max Verstappen and Carlos Sainz Jr. Equally, he made the point to say he doesn't see any difference between the two in terms of talent wise. He thinks they're both quite quite good. Of course, that was before the Brazilian Grand Prix weekend, where Carlos Sainz made it around like half of a lap. And it's not his fault. His better. engine blew. Wow, is it, is it not, sure. not his fault? Okay, sorry. <laughs> anyway, one interesting point he brought up: he was like, "I was also very impressed with Kevin Magnussen, and where did he go?" And it was kind of like, "Yeah, I don't know why McLaren dropped him." And he said, "Well, I don't know what McLaren's doing these days," um, and I'm not quoting. Uh, if anyone uh, wants to think otherwise, I'm not quoting him, but it was it was basically kind of like, yeah, you know, he thought highly of Kevin Magnuson, thinks he deserves a seat in Formula One somewhere, and uh, we think highly of Kevin Magnuson, and we're also very uncertain of uh, some of the decisions McLaren's making. But back to the original point, uh, Max Verstappen has certainly gotten more of the uh, limelight and more of people's attention because of his age. 
But it's quite true, actually, that uh, Carlos Sainz has also been very impressive. You know, old comparatively, but young in every other metric. <laughs> and he was actually... They're very close in qualifying. I don't think... I think Max Verstappen has a little bit more of an edge in race results, but I think that's luck as much as anything. And it'll be quite interesting to see, okay, if Toro Rosso exists next year... And they have an engine in the car. That's not just a Flintstones situation. Which would be would be sweet. Although, if it became a Flintstones situation, I would put my money on those two as much as anybody else. <laughs> um, that would be interesting to see how those two develop because... Yeah, there, it sounds like there's real potential for both of them. And if you think about um, Jean-Éric Verne and uh, definitely Jaime Algarshwari, quality of drivers, we have to admit, has definitely gone up at Toro Rosso. Yeah, can you? I don't know. Is that fair to them? I'm thinking of like oh some, yeah, it's totally fair. Sebastian yeah, Buemi and some of these guys that have gone on and done well in other series. I mean, you know, Jaime Algarshwari has kind of gone off and done done his other thing, but. Uh, John Rick Vern seems like a solid driver. Of course, both of the both those guys are in Formula E and uh, and have done quite well. Um, well, and uh, Buemi and, and Buemi, yeah, I was going to say Buemi won uh, the championship for Toyota, right? So, and that was 2014, yeah. Uh, yes. So, you know, were they? Was it how much of it was luck and how much of it was the team and the car and how that how that lined up with everything else that was going on and how much was the team favoring one driver over another? It's really hard to say, especially with some of these smaller teams where it's it's hard to know that everyone's getting a fair shake or kind of, especially with the drivers being as young and inexperienced as a lot of these guys are, that's just kind of the point of STR. If they kind of know what it takes to really get yourself in there and ingrained with the team and make sure decisions are made that, that suit you. So the fact that Carlos Sainz Jr. and Max Verstappen are both, you know, the sons of very well-known and famous racers and very successful racers um, tells you that, um, I, mean, I guess Jos Verstappen didn't have an amazing Formula One career, but still, um, you know, that's really helped, I think, to get these drivers in the right state of mind and kind of the level of preparation, but also um, it's all, you know, thinking of kind of like the sports dad, like, you know, the little, the, the kid out there playing soccer or whatever, and, you know, have, make sure, make sure you have the dad, make sure, oh, no, no, that was a bad call, make sure my kid gets gets this support he needs, and make sure that this happens, that happens, so um, not, that it's, not that it's their dad's doing this for them, but it helps helps them make sure they're getting what they need out of the team to be successful. Um, but I have to say, as the season has gone on, um, that I've been just really impressed with Verstappen. This was another uh, good race, and we had an interview with him after the fact. Of course, not on the podium because, you know, Max finished 10th, so just one point, but still, that's one point, um, to, uh, you know, with Will Buxton where he was saying, you know, you provided some of the very little action that there was was Verstappen making passes and, you know, yeah, with DRS and everything, but um, to be able to get up close to someone, run behind them, and and make a pass, which is something that even Lewis Hamilton, you know, 2015 World Driver Championship, uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, cannot do. So 2015 Drivers World Champion. Yes. Yes. Winner of the championship. Yes. I'm here to help remove all ships that are unnecessary. Got it. Yeah, uh, he he is very impressive, uh, but. You have to admit that part of the reason why he gets the attention he gets is because there was controversy going into his race of whether he's old enough. How mature is he going to be? What kind of decisions will he make? Is he really capable of an F1 car? When you come to pure driving performance, Carlos Sainz has been also very, very good, but a little bit more in the norm for uh, a rookie's age. Right. And that's why I say as the season has gone on, we don't see lots of crazy, stupid mistakes or that, you know, okay, some beginner's luck or some every once in a while you have a, a driver doing well. But after almost a complete season now, we can look at Verstappen's results and say, wow, he's actually really seems to have the real deal. And um, whether, yeah, you call that 
you know some combination of luck and skill and diplomacy and whatever else uh, that it takes to, to make it happen uh, it's come together well for him so that's that's what's impressive about it but and you know I guess so far Jackie Stewart thinks he's just on uh, on par with Carlos Sainz and that's fine because um, uh, yeah they, I, you know I regard him as well um, but I, I do think for me anyway that Verstappen um, maybe it's his age maybe uh, whatever just really seems to be uh, a, maybe a, a notch higher in terms of the uh, in terms of the just how impressed I am with him yeah, and uh, it, it does open up a very uh, intriguing question, though, because as you said a couple of moments ago, uh, the point of Toro Rosso is to groom Formula One drivers to make it to the quote-unquote big team that is Red Bull Racing, which also, if they exist next year, will have two drivers that have graduated from that system, Daniel Ricardo and uh, Daniel Kafiat. Here's the thing. Kafiat's 21 and Ricardo's 24. So we have now in the Toro Rosso Red Bull Complex four very young, very capable drivers. So what do you do? I mean, before it was it was Mark Webber and uh, I think David Coulthard. And then it was Mark Webber and Sebastian Vettel, of course. Vettel graduated in. But now... Who's who's the more experienced guy that's going to retire soon? Yeah, I mean Ricardo is is older, and it, but he's really a top level driver. I mean, why would you get rid of him unless he left to find a better he's, drive somewhere he's, or he's, whatever? You know, he's why? less than twenty five years old, right? But why? You know, but and but he's right right in the prime of what's going on. He's a really really top guy. He's really able to make some things happen out of the car. I mean, today wasn't a good race for him, but um, there are definitely well, times when I actually I disagree with that. It, it was a pretty good race considering his starting position. He yeah. had to start. In the back, and he ended up finishing, what was it, 12th, I think it was? Yeah, 12th. So, really, considering everything that was placed in front of him, he did he did a strong, he did a solid job. Yeah, fair enough. But, yeah, I, he is the elder statesman of the of the conglomerate, but, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I, how do you... Well, Red Bull's in this weird situation now, I mean, partly with the engine unsure situation and... Just kind of they're they're kind of politically back themselves into this corner with Renault, and you wonder, okay, if Renault is actually going to buy out Lotus, which of course has been much talked about but isn't really confirmed, um, then will the Red Bull Renault partnership come to an end after next year? And then where will Red Bull be? And maybe they can be better, maybe not. Uh, but you know, uh, Ricardo seems like the kind of guy that maybe could find himself a drive at another team uh, with you know the chance of sort of proving himself in another in another spot or maybe having some race wins or whatever. So. Maybe that's how it happens is they sort of work out some deal where he, you know, Ricardo moves off to somewhere else and then they bring up their other guys and they get another another youngster in with lots of money behind him and that's how they make the money. I mean, I don't know. It's a whole it's a whole thing. Um, and it's kind of it's its own system, mostly backed by Red Bull, you know, the global company, the, the money from that whole enterprise, um, not so much uh, worrying about pay drivers and so on. But it'll be interesting to see, I guess, how that how that pans out. I mean, for... It's funny you say that, actually, because I that, exactly to that point, I think the most two marketable drivers in the F1 paddock right now are Sainz and Verstappen. Yeah. And that, in a lot of ways, they might even be picked over Ricardo. Yeah, yeah, it could be. So it's, yeah, interesting to see how that... Um, how that's going to pan out. I mean, it's, we've got one race to go. I mean, Ricardo's old. I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, come on. 24. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why he just refuses. He's like the Valentino Rossi of uh, Formula One. He just won't He won't retire. <laughs> you to bring up the MotoGP stuff, huh? Well, I, it's funny. Actually, I know very little about that. He was uh, He was contending for the championship this year. So 
actually, uh, all joking aside, I have tons of respect for Rossi to just keep on going to be at the top level for so long. In bikes, no less. It's it's all very impressive. It ended in kind of a bitter way, but I really, I'm not, I'm not well-read in this situation, so I'm, I'm not going to try to add a bunch of opinions other than Rossi generally is impressive. Other than bikes are cool. Bikes are cool. Hey, that's another uh, fine point to be added. Um, yeah, also... Uh, Some other news that I think you and I can actually both get behind enthusiastically. Uh, Force India has now confirmed that no one can no one can take it. They are going to be fifth in the constructors championship. That's quite quite good for them. Yeah, and that's of course setting them up for this uh, very likely but not yet confirmed uh, buyout from Aston Martin, where so you know title sponsorship slash naming rights slash whatever to become Aston Martin F1 next year, which we've talked about a little bit. So. That's great for them to end this season, which has, has had some ups and downs, but more ups, uh, and to end that uh, with a very solid championship well, result. and a podium, no less, for press. That's right. Um, and, of course, Mexico was a big deal for, for Checo anyway. Um, so to, to finish all that and then have this as sort of momentum into next year and to get the, to get the attention of the right people and, you know, have a new a new sponsorship deal in place, it seems like a win-win for, uh, for Aston and for the old investors and the whole thing. So uh, it's really a, probably a, a good spot to be. And... Uh, yeah, I'm definitely happy to see them carry on. You know, that's that's another one of these teams, you know, based right there in Silverstone. Um, and just like they've, they've changed hands a number of times. I mean, since since the, the Jordan era and even, well, even before, but that's when, when I started becoming aware of it uh, with Midland and Spiker and Force India and Sahara, Sahara Force India and all that. It's like every couple of years they're they're changing around. And so now it's going to be Aston Martin. But well, so far, it's interesting you say that. I believe Safari, uh, Sahara Force India is now, it's the seventh year with that name. So it's actually been relatively stable considering that in general you're right it's been a very dynamic group a very dynamically named group but it has been based in silverstone this whole time ever since uh the jordan era spiker did i mention spiker spiker yeah yeah <laughs> the sean connery if he were to say spiker <laughs> yeah. speaking of scots that are awesome yeah really so man you got to talk to jackie stewart though that's cool and um you know, it's it's funny. It's like when you actually uh, you get to have a phone conversation with someone, and you know, it's sort of, it's sort of like I don't want to ask you a dumb question. I don't want to like you know you, you don't want to try to show off to Jackie Stewart of all people. It's like I know a lot about Formula One. So I like, was admittedly some, some, I was throwing softballs. Right, right? I wasn't question. trying to stir any pots. I know it's it's tough because it's like if you have some kind of a press event where it's like oh this guy you know they're here and the whole point of being here is to to you know talk to people and you kind of get a sense for kind of what level the conversation is. But, uh, you know, it just, it's funny. Some of the, sometimes I'm, you know, I'm sure Jackie Stewart gets all kinds of, all kinds of questions all the time. So he's probably got a couple of, of canned answers, but it was cool to, to get, um, you know, and he's not going to say anything really controversial because, you know, why would he, right. but, uh, to be able to say, so, so the, although you know, again, he could say whatever he wanted effectively. Well, in a way, but you know, yeah, just be, he's a, a big enough name and sort of one of these luminaries of the sport that he's not going to, you know, come out and say, oh yeah, you know, Kevin Bagson, screw that guy. Oh yeah, that guy sucks. You know, it's just kind of, it's like, oh yeah, it's all real positive. And, um, you know, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see. Um, well, and, and Stuart, uh, since you bring it up, he's, he's politically astute, you know, yeah. he, he still very much has a career in Formula One, uh, you know, as a representative of various sponsors and things like of that nature. So it's, it is in his interest to stay politically correct himself. And he's, I mean, let's, let's be honest. He's quite good at what he does. I remember, uh, you know, he, I forget exactly what he said, but he made an opinion and it wasn't even that terribly strong of an opinion. He said, but if I may 
offer to say. Right. And it's kind of like, God, you're good at this. Right. You know, that's, that's, that's a very soft landing for something that isn't that stinging in the first place. Right. And, you know, he just seems like a real quality dude. He's, he's been around the Formula One and the whole system for a long time. He kind of knows how things work, but also uh, is just, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, really genuinely nice guy and knowledgeable and, and happy to, uh, to talk about what's going on. So uh, that's, that's really cool though, that you were able to uh, share a little phone time with him and, uh, you know, get even if no no earth shattering opinions, just uh, you know, get a little little background. So, is the output from that? Is there going to be? Uh, I know it's not your project, but a, uh, a road and track story or something uh, with some some input from Jackie Stewart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we do a we do a story uh, a, a series of stories recurring called Drivers Ed, and uh, you know we're getting his opinion on some Drivers Ed that's coming up um, for various like you know the best way to race and you know uh, just yeah great driving advice from a phenomenal driver. Let's cool. just put it that way. And he's going to be featured maybe multiple times. I'm not exactly sure how the topics nice. are going to break up. So, yeah, keep an eye on the social streams. Uh, if that, that kind of article comes out, we probably have can uh, tweet a link to it or things like that. But uh, always fun to you know keep up on what's going on, whether it's through directly with Formula One or through the day jobs and all that. Yes. Um, so there was – there was it did happen. There was a race today. It was 71 laps. And – God, I feel bad because Rosberg did a phenomenal job. And we're not talking about the race that Rosberg won because it was just kind of met overall. But it's not because of any lack of effort on his part. He did a great, great job. Congrats to Nico Rosberg. Right. He was very, very close for pole position. Uh, and riding along Nico's onboard lap, it was he was on the edge. I mean, he had some moments. He was really pushing really hard. Um, had a couple of spots where, you know, getting on the throttle really early and trying to get out of a corner and, and you know, a, a one or two little sideways bobbles on the actual pole lap. And the fact that he was pushing, you know, clearly pushing really, really hard and was within, uh, what, eight hundredths of a second um, with, uh, you know, to, to Hamilton's lap. Uh, we didn't, I didn't see the complete onboard of Hamilton's lap, but um, we know those, those guys are both really, really good qualifiers. And in that, that car and that whole, you know, the whole thing, uh, they were really, really close to each other. So this was not gifted to him by any means. He earned that pole position and then he... Very much so. And then uh, going into turn one, he was defending it. Uh, you know, in lap one, he was he was keeping himself strong and all that. And, and there were times where uh, Hamilton was less than a second behind Rosberg and was in DRS range. Which Rosberg said in an interview after that he was just controlling the pace and it was never really under threat. But that's what you would say, I guess, you know. <laughs> and well, we do know that the combinations and corners in Brazil, the DRS zone is less of an advantage than it would be at other tracks um, because it's not a huge, huge, massive braking zone uh, going in turn one. It's a big one, but it's not the biggest. Right. And there's just a lot of medium, le- medium to high speed flowing corners in Brazil. So it doesn't lend itself to and nothing really a DRS straight. track. Yeah, and there's not much straight either. So it's not like, yeah. a, oh, the, even the most of the straight, straight isn't like, straight. Yeah, right, that's exactly. a good point. Yeah, so, uh, but still, his teammate is three-time world champion Lewis Hamilton, and he was within DRS range, and still no. I mean, that's, that's definitely still an accomplishment. Yeah. Other people made passes in DRS, Right. DRS passes did happen, and uh, Rosberg was not passed ever. Right. So, you know, it, it kind of raises a, a couple questions. The first of which is, you know, why wasn't he driving like this the whole season? You know, kind of like how did he end up yeah. where it's, uh, you know, he, he has this capability apparently between himself and the car and the team and the tires and the whole thing. He's able to make this all work. Now, after the season's already clinched, 
Um, or is is that it? Is that now that the pressure is off that he's doing better? Because it seems like you could kind of uh, you could look at it that way. You know, I was looking at Rosberg. This now has 13 career wins, um, which is a very solid career. But next to uh, Hamilton and you know Vettel, let alone you know kind of Senna and the greats or whatever, it's like okay, he's he's got skills. He's he's at the best team right now, un, undoubtedly, and yet um, he's just not there when it really matters and has these has these choke points when it really matters um of course you know thinking of monza thinking of the usgp this year um and of course you know, in the usgp this year it was not like they were tied for the championship and that's you know his little bobble there is what lost it I mean, he was already on the back foot and it was just to keep himself from being eliminated right yeah that so was that yeah what you're saying is very accurate right. and I, I think it's fair to say but that. it's one of these moments when the pressure is on that that really in my opinion seems to just get to rosberg just a tiny bit too much and, you know, can cause him to make some silly errors. Well, USGP was a perfect example because when he had his uh, moment where he uh, let the rear end go and ran a bit wide, he was in the lead by two and a half seconds or more. He was comfortably in the lead. He wasn't being pressured at that moment. He was just the pressure of everything overall had built up so high that he kind of just couldn't take it. And I think, honestly... I can trace it back to Spa of 2014, Hmm. where Lewis and himself had the clash, and Nico was very much frowned upon for it. Internally in the team, certainly, but just the crowd in general, very unhappy with Nico. And I feel like that was a turning point where he's been kind of, to a certain extent, the anti-hero, and... It's really hard not to internalize that a little bit. And I feel like he's become... The early half of 2014, he was enthusiastic. He was he was warm. He was very excited about what happened to him. This time, he just seems a little bit more cold and distant and calculated. And I think that all those things just play on your psyche a bit. He's more of a hat thrower now. Than, than he was before. A bit more of a hat thrower. Yeah. Definitely lost what little sense of humor he ever had. And, uh, you know, I think that, and then the way 2015 went, the pressure is too much. He just couldn't take it. So my hope is that, because let's not forget for a big part of 2014, Rosberg was in the lead of the Drivers' Championship. Right. He had more poles than Hamilton. You know, he had by a considerable good success. Yeah, they went back and forth a little bit, but he was, he and was Hamilton, right there. And Hamilton made, managed to scrape it back together. And it was indeed the final race of the season that Hamilton uh, pulled it off. Uh, now, this time around, it was Hamilton's from the beginning. And I think we'll see what happens in Abu Dhabi, of course. But I think that this offseason can be a little bit more true of a true wipe the slate clean and maybe just maybe he can start in a better mental place on a more equal footing and he's shown in these late latter races that he can really put Hamilton to task yeah he's he's shown that but I wonder how much of a you know wipe the slate clean the offseason will be with the I, I, I guess it's good that the end of the season has been really strong for Rosberg so he personally can take solace in that, and he can think about it in the offseason and go, man, I have you know have this string of pole positions, string of race victories, and if the season had started at whatever, then I would be ahead of whatever, which, yeah, that's great, and that's well, better. Well, the shoulda, woulda, couldas are never Right, healthy. you know, it's like, that's it's great to sort of think about it in that way, if you want, but 
still this it's you know i'm sure he'll he won't be able to escape some of at least a little bit of the news of, oh here's lewis hamilton is off partying whatever and enjoying himself being three-time champion and oh look all-time wins list and senna and vettel and blah 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 and you know or meanwhile rosberg's there like but i was better at the end and so hopefully you know it's, it's a lot more fun as fans to see a a you know, friendly but competitive relationship, uh, and to see some of these, you know, with uh, it, it's a very different story this year. But I guess you know, with um, you know, uh, Button and Alonso, and kind of some of the, the funny things that they do, um, and even even Vettel and Raikkonen, you know, it's they're kind of a different you know calibers of their careers right now. But still, to be able to just you know have a have a seems like a good working relationship, and to be able to learn things from each other, and but not just be kind of nasty to each other. And so that's not fun to watch. Uh, uh, you know, from from our point of view, but Lewis seems like he's just going to go and do his thing, and he's he's won the championship. I mean, he can, uh, or you could even say he is the championship if you want to add an extra ship uh, <laughs> and uh, and not get the unnecessary ships removed. But uh, so he's like, yeah, I'm I'm you know living my lifestyle, and you know I'm going to go out and be crazy, and I want to do what I want. And and Rosberg is like, but I'm a better driver, you guys. Ah. So I don't know if he'll be able to really come back to 2016 in Australia, going, hey, refreshed and ready to go, and let's go be dominant. I mean, I don't know if it's just it seems like it's just a different personality and well, kind of a different way of internalizing that. If and this is admittedly a very big if, if Rosberg wins in Abu Dhabi, and especially if he wins from pole, well, that three race wins in a row kind of momentum would genuinely be a very healthy thing to help kickstart a stronger 2016 season. And uh, let's not forget that 2016 will be the last of uh, Formula One racing before there's a, you know, some sort of rule shakeup that changes the cars around fundamentally for 2017. So... As is the plan now, I guess. As is the plan now, fair, fair yeah. point. But my, my, my thinking is, is that there's no reason to think that at a minimum, Mercedes won't be, if not dominant, still towards the front and as strong as they're going to have a chance to be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I wonder though if say um, Rosberg wins in Abu Dhabi and then fast forward a while to Australia next year, um, if Rosberg wins there and sort of is you know starts off the the career you know or starts off the season on a high note. Do you think the fans will rally around Nico and go, yeah, Nico, that's our guy? I mean, I feel like there is that change, like you talked about after Spa and kind of after seeing this different side of him and then the relationship kind of going sour as it did, that I don't know that it's not that nobody wants him to win. There are, I'm sure there are Nico Rosberg fans, but it seems like just with the personalities and kind of the just the way they portray themselves and the way the, the stories have gone, that uh, a lot of people like Lewis and they see this you know, raw driving talent and, they, you know, Nico Rosberg's become this villain guy. And obviously he's got driving talent as well. I mean, look at the last couple of races and his race today and so on. Um, but I just, I wonder if he would ever get to a point where the, the fans are really around him and, and everything is really positive in his way, or if it's, that's kind of been lost um, altogether. I mean, forever is a long time, but just in the next, you know, in the next year, uh, would it be the case if he's, if he's, you know, got a solid lead in the first sort of quarter of the championship. Um, will that will that really turn kind of opinions around towards him? I think that uh, were all these things come true, that Nico Rosberg should uh, take uh, take lessons learned from Andy Kaufman, the uh, late and great comedian. Uh, Andy had a big uh, comedy show, and at the end he offered everyone milk and cookies. So if Nico Rosberg wins in Abu Dhabi, he should offer everyone milk and cookies at the end of the Grand Prix. Be like, hey, milk and cookies from Nico Rosberg. And they will be eating the milk 
and enjoying the cookies. And how could they not like the person that provided these? Right, things? and they see Lewis up in his fancy lifestyle, going off to his fancy plane or whatever. When they're like, "But I'm eating, I'm eating a cookie. I'm drinking some milk." And Nico Rosberg, that's my guy. Look at that, Lewis is exactly. like fancy pants. Just, just keep, yeah. just keep the sweetness and creaminess coming, and you're my guy. Hmm. Yeah. All right. You, that's, you that's, heard it here first, folks. And probably only. Probably that's the last. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, but there, I, I want to bring up one more thing that uh, came up, and it was between the Mercedes drivers. It was the fact that Lewis was having a really hard time due to uh, arrow wash, that he couldn't get close to Nico and have a real scrap. This isn't a teammate thing. Sorry, this isn't a team thing. Okay. This is a car design thing. The Formula One cars today, more so than ever, probably, but certainly on the high end of the, uh, at the tip of this point, they're more aerosensitive, and I think that's a bad thing. I think fundamentally we need to look at aerodynamics and appreciate and respect the difference and capability they can make but really sit down and think about, okay, is it really just a matter of faster lap times that makes Formula One exciting or not exciting? No, because uh, the Brazilian Grand Prix is basically Formula One's cars going as fast as they've ever gone. And the exciting racing would come from close racing action. And if we had more mechanical grip, less aero grip, that would lend itself to that would lend itself to better racing. So what do we do to get rid of such aero sensitivity? Like a thousand horsepower engines. Yes. Wait, we're pretty much there anyway. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what, you know, you get these, uh, these, these, you know, mandates or these kind of, you know, proposals that come down like, Oh, but you know, we need to get back to have one, have a thousand horsepower, but you're exactly right. Today, these cars were, they're all really high tech cars. They're, they're louder than they have been in the last couple of years, at least. And, you know, I don't, you know, people aren't really talking about the noise and stuff so much, but yeah, they're going really, really fast. And these drivers are really, really good. And yet if there's very little action on track, then it's not super exciting. Also, I mean, you know, after, you know, this is the end of the season and the, the main championships have been clinched, at least, you know, the top sort of three places or whatever now. Um, so it, it's not quite as high stakes as it would be earlier in the season, but, uh, yeah, I think you know, I, I think you're right that some closer racing, uh, you know, to hear some of Bernie's goofball proposals from the last couple of years, you'd say, oh, well, we should have sprinklers on track that start it starts an artificial <laughs> rainstorm kind of randomly throughout the race, and then it has to shuffle around, which just seems kind of artificial and off the deep end in terms of, uh, you know, how how reasonable that would be. But yeah, of course, if it had started raining, um, and you know, if nature had had brought that in, uh, then that would have been that would have shaken things up and you know, maybe we'd have a different result, probably somewhere along the line, the result would be different with who pits when and how that all, uh, you know, pans out. But, uh, yeah, I think there's something to be said for, uh, lessening the overall arrow, uh, you know, requirement. Um, you know, part of my point is that I don't want it to go so far off, you know, with no wings or anything that, uh, that the car's lap times are, are ways, you know, higher lap time as in, you know, longer time to get around. Um, because part of the appeal of Formula One is just how quickly they can go around a track, not in a straight line, um, because as, as, uh, you know, we talked about, uh, earlier that, you know, the, a fan can't tell the difference between a car going 180 miles an hour or 220 or 230 or whatever. It's like, wow, that's really fast. And it, you know, it whizzes by, but, um, to be able to see how quickly you don't they, want to reduce the whizzing. You don't. You saying. don't want to reduce it, but you want to. <laughs> you want to make sure you know that if there's another series, if a world endurance car can you know get around the lap at about the same time, then that has that, then it's lost something as far as I'm concerned. There are places actually. Since you brought it up, I I think it was oh man, I 
really having a hard time remembering my source here, but some of the tracks, I might have been China where the world endurance cars are less than a second away from the Formula One cars. I feel like I would want to look that up and, and make sure it's an apples-to-apples comparison. Well, yeah, but who needs apples? Uh, the <laughs> the uh, good point. The world endurance cars have uh, have been have gone quite a bit faster. And actually, as a corollary to that, uh, you know the the is it the TS thirty O three O the Toyota uh, hybrid. Uh, World endurance car. I thought it was the 040 this generation. I know it is now the 040, but what was? It? But is it TS or yeah, whatever? yeah, TS. TS. Okay, so the to the from the 40 and um, from the 30 to the 40. Uh, in general, the Toyota has is two seconds a lap faster, mm-hmm. and it's now the slowest of the big teams. Well, it's because the other cars, Audi and Porsche, were four seconds a lap faster. My point is, is that the development and push has been very aggressive in world endurance. Yeah. So. They've been going a lot faster, is my point. Not that Formula One's been going slower. Right. So, yeah, I think Formula One should keep pace with that. And if it, if it goes backwards as well, they say, oh, yeah, we've got these really slow cars now, that that's kind of a, a step back. But, of course, with the shapes of sports cars, that means the aerodynamics and how they affect other cars is very different than what you get out of a Formula One car. So there is uh, – and endurance racing is different anyway, but we do have some very close races and some tight – uh, tight followings and overtakes and things like that. Uh, there's a lot more to do with, you know, quick pit stops and how you do multi-stint tires and things like that that are very different with WEC. But, um, yeah, so I, I agree that we want to have have a situation where, you know, somebody like Lewis Hamilton, if he really is the, or has the capability to be faster than Rosberg, um, that he should be able to get around him, that, you know, they're both good drivers and they are in the same team and they respect each other and fight really, dip, you know, really tough against each other. But it shouldn't be that it's a... You know, and to, to see Hamilton describe it, sort of a physical impossibility. Like, there's no way I could have gotten around him. Which right, which really, is a stretch, but yeah, yeah, okay. But you know, clearly there were lots of other places where cars were running close, and then they just had to back off. And they said, "Oh yeah, you know, maybe I could have made a run for it, but it would have been really risky." And you know, it's you know, everyone's got to got to take their priority. So if it were easier to not easier to get around because it's like an artificial, you know, imp, you know, increase of DRS or something doesn't seem like the right thing because uh, you don't want to just make it different for the sake of being different. But um, I, I think your point to just try to think about that as the new regulations come together. Um, you know, really make it such that one car doesn't completely ruin the cars behind it, you know, the, the arrow flow to it and the grip and so on. And we saw some concepts about this, I think around like 2009 and 10, uh, with like a, a, a rear wing that had a giant hole in the middle. Like it was a split. There's a left half and a right, or like a left third oh. and a right third. Yeah, yeah, And like yeah. a giant gap in the middle, which was super ugly. But if that is what it takes, oh, I don't know. It was so ugly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, taking off the wings, I guess it could look cool, but... I just think that... Uh there's more thing to be. Doing. I, I personally would be a fan of more road re- relevance. You know, something that uh, was what cars are to the general public, but taken up a level to a level we've never seen before, and really pushing that technology. I like that. Um, and I just, you know, downforce just isn't that. You know what I mean? But you know, for example, you know, an air brake. Is potentially like maybe there's ways to use air other than pushing the car to the ground that are really clever and more road relevant for our future. I don't know, just my own thing. Uh, in other news, I mean, yeah, road cars have movable aerodynamic devices, but it's banned in Formula One. Exactly, so, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, there's a lot of questions there. Uh, it is Valtteri. The big battle in the constructors champ in the drivers championship. Sorry, is Valtteri Bottas fourth in the championship, Kimi Raikkonen fifth. 
Valtteri Botas with 136 points, Kimi Raikkonen with 135 going into the finale. Those two are, I think, pretty much the best of friends these days, too, aren't they? Oh, totally the best, yeah. I mean, and the next level down, uh, Felipe Massa is in sixth in the championship, and he has 121 points. So that puts him 14 and 15 points behind, respectively. And then it's another 17 points back to Daniel Kathiat in seventh. So, uh, really, the big uh, championship battle going into the finale is for fourth. The finale... Ooh. Like finish. They're going to finish yes. the season strong and finish. Kimi Raikkonen held his own. He was fourth in today's race. Uh, Botas had a great race starting from seventh, getting up to fifth, and being able to finish there. Uh, so I was happy to see the one and only active Formula driver that's older than me do well. Very happy to see that, always and forever. And Wait, when he retires, man, it's going to be, oh, it's gonna be so like a bad. sad day. Oh, my God. All I, these kids out there. Oh, goodness. Where's my slippers? <laughs> That's Jim Lau impersonating me. Pretty much now. I think. Do you even know where your slippers are right now? I'm not sure you do. I do. Yeah, they're, oh. they're on the fifth step of my house. Oh, wow. There so, you go. boom. Take that. See, that's why Raikkonen should stay in the sport. See? Get that smart, sharp mind. That's right. That's good. Yeah. That's and good. our voice can go up and down <laughs> to enunciate our mood. Well, there you go. Right? Yeah. That's youth. <laughs> That's youth. Okay. <laughs> you know the right where his slippers you are. You know what youth is. What? <laughs> Man. Um, so we have one more race to predict. Well, there is a, another championship with a major shakeup at the top of it. Oh, dear. Um, the... Driver and Constructors World Championships have been decided, but the Fun With Cars Predictions Championship has not been clinched by any means. It is a very, very tight race. And in fact, we had a lead change. So Nils Erlamo, who's been at the top of the timesheets or top of the, the prediction charts for many races. I don't know how long and it's been, I, but for I, most of the season. I assumed unbeatable. Right. Well, but he was only by one point. Now um, he has moved down by one point. So he has, there's, a, there's a three-way tie for second place, Ooh, um, but Rich Danby uh, moved up one spot and correctly predicted for zero points, Rosberg, Rosberg. So it is now Rich Danby in number one spot in predictions, uh, a three-way tie, Nils Erlemo, Nick Drabchuk, who actually moved up 23 po- spots in the championship by, by getting a zero, zero points in there, Wow! and Jonathan Koster are tied for third place, and then is a massive tie for fifth, For um, uh, and then I'm in uh, I'm in 27th spot. Um, oh, that much people. mean that I'm in 28th. Because you and I have been right next to each other this whole time. Damien is in 55th spot overall with with zero points uh, for predicting correctly. And you, sir, fell by three spots with 90, for 96th spot with 87 points. Yeah. Um, yep. mm-hmm. So there's that. So in terms of this actual race, um, we'll do a quick shout out. Uh, there were nine people uh, tied for zero points. Um, so uh, Damien was among them. That's freaking spreadsheet. Um, and then a bunch of people with either a Hamilton-Rosberg prediction or Rosberg-Hamilton. So a lot of people getting one point. And then a lot more people getting two points with a ham-ham uh, and on from there. Special mention to Will Carver with the button-button prediction worth 29 points Oh, dear. I mean, there was moments where it was going to come good. We we all felt it. And boy, yeah. Next worst was a Masa Masa prediction from Brian Hoover for 14 points because this was a weekend. Yeah, he did finish in eighth. Masa. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, not a great... But he started in eighth too. Is that really true? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna trust the system and say trust yes. the system. I agree with that. There was a Vettel Ricardo prediction in there, also not brilliant because Ricardo. Anyway, um, that's enough for Brazil. We have one more race to predict for this year. 
What do you think? I think that my hands hurt, and to bother and potentially damage them permanently by hitting buttons on my computer uh, is just not the correct uh, thinking. Maybe it's a short-term gain slightly, but it's long-term failing for sure. So I am going to stick. That's some youthful thinking right there. (laughs) Right? Hmm. It's always good to think long-term, youthfully. Hamilton, Hamilton. I my guess is this Rosberg guy though he's pretty good. He's he's quite good, but I think Hamilton is uh, clearly unhappy about uh, the way Brazil went down. I think Mexican the Mexico Grand Prix he can kind of sh- uh, you know shirk off his shoulders and be like yeah whatever. Uh, but this one I think stung a little bit, and it did come off of his uh, you know quote unquote heavy partying or whatever they said precisely about it that resulted in a dinged up Pagani Zonda, let alone three other parked cars, which we did not talk about sooner, but that happened early this week. And I think he's going to be a bit more focused and going to want to finish the season strong. Plus my hands hurt. Hamilton, Hamilton. All right. My current prediction is Hamilton pole Nico Rosberg for the win, which hasn't served me that poorly. It's been one point for the last few races. Uh, but I feel like that's a pretty good hedge because if, if Rosberg does really well, you know, I get a point. If Hamilton does really well, I get a point. And it's possible I can get zero points if uh, if it goes in. So um, it's a little bit lame, but I'm going to stick with it. Um, and then, oh, I saw at the very bottom of the list there, Alexander Rossi, still an option there. Yeah, he's he's, he's done for the season. Now it's going to be back to Roberto Mary for the Abu Dhabi finale because, of course, Rossi will be in his GP2 car again. And, uh, man, I hope that at some point a Rossi prediction becomes a, uh, a reasonable thing to make. A but permanent fixture, yes. For now, it's... Uh, it's kind of at the bottom of the list and not a very likely for the win. So, yeah, I'm going to stick with Hamilton for pole position, Rosberg for the win. Damien, the statistical model heuristic spreadsheet device, uh, will thinks that Rosberg will be on pole again and that Rosberg will win. And that's not really that bad of a prediction because um, that's now been a couple times in a row that's uh, gone that way. So, two weeks' time is the season finale from Abu Dhabi. I'm hoping we have an exciting race. Uh, probably it's not going to rain because it doesn't rain there very much. It does sometimes, but not very often. Um, the stakes, I guess, that's really that, that fourth place. You know, it's, the it's stakes a, are low. The stakes are <laughs> the, 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 the finish stakes are high. I guess you know that you know maybe we'll we'll have to see how you know the Botas v Raikkonen how that all shakes out. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess in a way it's like well the stakes are low and the track is what it is. It looks nice. It goes this day and tonight race. What is it? I mean, we're still going to watch it. We are. <laughs> ringing endorsement from the... Yes. Well, uh, yes, the United Arab Emirates is going to be electric with light bulbs lit as the track goes dark and they want to keep it lit. <laughs> you heard it here again. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, Abu Dhabi's coming up in two weeks' time. That is the... The dramatic season finale. We'll, we'll see, you know, what Fernando Alonso memes we can come up with in two weeks' time, and uh, where this whole place yeah. is. Alonso would rather be. When exactly when will Jensen Button and Fernando Alonso be on the podium this coming weekend? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Um, so, but uh, we'll watch. We will watch it. We'll watch it. There'll be some things. There's we, a very good chance we'll talk about it. I for think this is a high chance. Fifty-five minutes or so, and uh, you know, it'll it'll go from there. And then in the off season, hopefully, we can do some more kind of wrap up stuff and talk to oh, Jamie no, again and we're, do some good fun stuff. We're but. we're past due. Uh, we're we got to talk to Jamie about his uh, very fantastic uh, season of photography in Formula One. Yeah, we're going to have a couple of off season season boy off season shows. 
Yeah. All right. Until two weeks' time from now, thank you, as always, for listening. I am Jim Lau. And I am Robin Warner. Formula One. Yeah, that's it. I don't have anything else.